Certificate of Lay Ministry Studies The Discipleship Place Session 2 Who Needs Transformation? Who Needs Transformation? Session Overview The Human Predicament Longing for the Light The Sound of Crashing Idols Application Exam Discussion Guide for Mentor and Participant Learner Objectives At the end of this session, you should Understand the human predicament of being unholy and unhappy, lost yet longing for the light. Describe some of the signs of the longing and searching heart as expressed in some contemporary modern and postmodern religious and secular ideologies. Own your own sense of alienation and longing in the past and present. Write an incisive two-minute paper on the human need for transformation. Apply your learning to a ministry setting by identifying fruitful preaching resources from the learning activities in this session. Introduction Just for fun, pop quiz. Which of the following is the most reproduced piece of art in the last 20 years? A. The Mona Lisa B. Warhol's Last Supper C. The Beatles poster Or D. The Scream Answer The Scream Edvard Munch of Norway painted the scream in 1893. At its first exhibit in Berlin, the critics found it uncivilized, barbaric, insane, and even subhuman. The critics and the public drove the scream into abandoned obscurity. It was out of joint with the times. It is not out of joint with our times. In recent years, that painting has decorated more t-shirts, posters, notepads, calendars, nightlights, beer bottles, mouse pads, and coffee mugs than any other piece of art. Michael Park Taylor, the curator of the gallery in Toronto that houses a major monk exhibit, claims that the scream stands as the image of modern man, totally stressed out and angst-ridden. The Human Predicament Something has gone wrong with the human enterprise. Haunted by emptiness and meaninglessness, harassed by guilt and remorse, dogged by shame and depression, we stumble painfully through the darkness. Our writers and filmmakers say it, and we all know about it from experience. Consider the following statements. We are aliens from our home. Modern man is no longer merely in exile. He has forgotten his home and has no hope of a promised land. British theologian Michael Green New Life, New Lifestyle, 1984. Nothing faithful, vulnerable, fragile can be durable. Death awaits these things like a cement floor awaits a dropping light bulb. Novelist Saul Bellow, Herzog. Jesus wouldn't want me for a sunbeam. Rockstar Kurt Cobain, shortly before he killed himself. How shall the heart be reconciled to its feast of losses? Stanley Kunitz. Poet, The Lawyers, 2000. I live in the desert like a pelican, in a ruin like a screech owl. I stay awake, lamenting a lone bird on a roof. Humanity without God is a seed upon the wind, in the grip of the wind. What is a seed? No more than a particle of dust, a nameless nothing. Howard Thurman, Clergyman, Reflecting God, 2000. I'm for anything that will get you through the night, be it a prayer, pills, or a bottle of Jack Daniels. Frank Sinatra, deceased singer, reflecting God. Life's a long headache in a noisy street. Allen Ginsberg, poet, how?
Do people in your life express these kind of sentiments? How do these views affect the way they live their lives? In what ways do you share these views? I must break through this deadness. At times, this crushes the very soul. Fridtjof Nansen, Norwegian explorer, penned these words in his ship's log. Many expeditions to reach the North Pole by sea had ended with ice-bound ships and frozen sailors, but Nansen had studied the ocean currents. He believed the best thing to do was to trust the current of the Arctic Ocean. Therefore, in the summer of 1893, he set his ship, the Fram, adrift in the ocean current. His goal was to drift to the pole and beyond it, coming out on the other side into the sun-sparkled Pacific. But soon, the Fram was locked into frozen solidarity with millions of acres of ice in the polar ice cap. He sat there all winter. Then came a short spring in summer that thawed almost nothing. Winter found him with deck, riggings, and rudder frozen in uselessness. In the middle of that second dark Arctic winter, he wrote, Life seems as dark as the winter night outside. There is sunlight upon no other part of it except the past and the far, far distant future. I must break through this deadness. Nansen could remember the sunlight, and he hoped to see it again in a future too far distant to be of much help in a six-month polar night. After two years, the soul-crushed Nansen tried to break through the deadness by leaving his ship. With one companion, he set out to walk to the North Pole. Fat chance. The jagged, icy terrain pounded them into submission. The two took refuge in a shell of a cave and shivered through the third winter eating polar bear meat and remembering the sunshine and hoping to feel it again in some distant future. Adapted from Reflecting God, pages 5 and 6. Friedhoff's story has a happy ending. After three years of frozen oneness with the polar ice cap, he was rescued and was sent home. Imagine his feelings on a spring morning when he roused from a nightmare of the frigid Arctic and realized that a shaft of May sunlight had slipped through a half-open curtain and nudged him awake by shining in his face. Think what he experienced when he opened his window to be greeted by a May morning ablaze with sunlit beauty, dancing daffodils, nodding tulips, and dew-freshened rosebuds bathing in the golden ambiance of the sun. Fridtjof had broken through the deadness. The sun was no longer hidden in some far distant future, but a present blessing that provoked a dance of gratitude and joy. Men and women come in many hues of black, white, and brown. They dress in styles ranging from tiara to baseball cap worn backwards. They follow different vocations, from sailors like Nansen to preachers like Billy Graham. They speak a thousand different languages and dialects when they order coffee or correct their children. But the hungers of the heart are all inscribed on our inner being in the same languages, the same style, and the same flavors and colors. Our Creator, who beckons us to wholeness and holiness, engraves them there. Our hearts long for wholeness, holiness, peace, forgiveness, and assurance we belong. From time to time, we glimpse the light the very light of God. At such times, we spiritually discern that there is a relationship with God that promises fulfillments that we have only dreamed of. We savor the hungers of our heart for a precious moment. But although the wise man's words from Proverbs 4.23, keep thy heart with all diligence, the King James Version, hover in our spirit, the vision is soon gone. Intrusions like overtime, Monday night football, 
ceramics class, family quarrels, soccer practice, and church committee meetings yank us back into that world as busy as a beehive and as stressful as a bomb squad's to-do list. The heart hungers on, longing for the light. Like the memory of a guilty romance, our neglect of the spiritual light nags our troubled soul. A season of discontent can be the doorway to a deeper relationship with God. If you are asking, is this all there is? Is spiritual formation simply more things to add to my overwhelming life? The challenge is to move on through this study in a prayerful way. Listen to your heart. Listen to God. Breathe deeply and trust the invitation to explore. Spiritual formation is not something to add to life. To truly be formed by God is to let your life change. This can be difficult. Idols might need to fall. Beware of falling idols. When you cry out for help, let your collection of idols save you. The wind will carry all of them off. A mere breath will blow them away. Isaiah chapter 57 verse 13. These words are challenging the very ideas, aka idols, some of us have based our lives upon. While calling ourselves Christians, we have functionally served other gods. All of us have had our sense of security threatened when jobs are downsized, terrorists attack, family members move away, and church traditions change. The anger toward others we often express in these times is an indication we sense our lives are being threatened. Falling idols crash all around us. It's not that we haven't hoped. We used to do that. It's not that we haven't searched. We wore ourselves out chasing dreams, phantasms, and phony messiahs. We often desire the quick fix for relational, financial, and spiritual problems. Some of the idols common to the world seep into our way of thinking. We can recognize some idols that have been at one time embraced in our lives and were found wanting. Modernity has already crowned and impeached the old set of idols. Materialism. Grab all the things you can. Hedonism. Life is an end in itself and pleasure is preferable to pain. Narcissism. It's all about me. Scientism. The scientific method and its technology is my shepherd. I shall not want. I hope. Reason. The human mind can think its way to happiness. We held coronation galas when these messiahs slouched into the modern Bethlehem. We hail these world views as our redeemers. The view of modernity was radical optimism in humanity. The common proclamations of leaders in different arenas were the freedom of human beings. Human beings were declared to be free from the supernatural, free to fashion their own self, free to conquer nature through science, free to produce an always growing economy. All this sprang from faith in the religion of human progress. This faith in human progress was found to be displaced. The idols were exposed as impotent saviors, every one of them. A pile of money, nonstop pleasure, Self-centered living and science and technology still left that big hole in our heart empty and aching. Oh, there are still tribes of greedy grabbers, pleasure hounds, egomaniacs, and science and technology worshippers, but they are old-fashioned, out of tune with the times. The idols of modernity, materialism, hedonism, narcissism, scientism, and reason became an establishment against which postmodern searchers have rebelled. The Postmodern Search for Meaning 
From Stanley Kaufman, The New Republic, August 30, 1999, page 24, the inhabitants of the 21st century are done with mere rationality and empty tradition. They seek something beyond the natural, above the rational, something mysterious and beyond their control. Our age makes the materialism of the past look picayune. People crave something larger in concepts than the data of this world, something mysterious, ambiguous, non-material. Rita McLean's pilgrimage speaks for the culture. Her spiritual search started a Pentecostal church in Iowa, but the guilt was too heavy there. She packed her spiritual bags and moved to the mainline Protestant congregation, but it was too shallow. She rejected all organized religion and spent years seeking peace in nature, mainly hiking in the mountains and meditating in the desert. A painful divorce moved her to scout her inner landscape again. This expedition led her into unity, a blend of Christian science, Hinduism, and pop psychology. From there, she journeyed into Native American spirituality, and then to bowing before Buddha. From Newsweek, November 28, 1994, page 53. If you visited her home, you would find a truly postmodern altar. Currently, it sports an angel statue, a small bottle of sacred water blessed at a woman's vigil, a crystal ball, a pyramid, a small brass image of Buddha sitting on a brass leaf, a votive candle, a Hebrew prayer, a tiny Native American basket from the 1850s, and a picture of her most sacred place, a madrone tree near her home. Meet New York psychotherapist Nancy Santopierto. She has, it seems, all but abandoned her practice of traditional psychotherapy in favor of feng shui, wind and water in Chinese. Feng shui helps her patients find jobs, lovers, and other good things. From Stanley Grins, What Christians Really Share and Believe and Why, 1998, page 2. To cure relationship problems, Santo Pierto counsels, hang a pink shui crystal on a 9-inch red string in your relationship corner. From McLean's January 1, 1996, page 23. Then there is Kara Seeger of Victoria, British Columbia. She doesn't go very many days without a magical ceremony of Wicca. She reads tarot cards, immerses herself in Taoism, and practices Buddhism. Like an echo of our pluralistic culture, she says, I believe all attempts of mankind and womankind to reach the divine are valid. Part of the postmodern search is the fever for chasing angels. Time Magazine reports that Harvard Divinity School has a course on angels. Boston College has two. Recently, five of the top ten bestsellers among religious books, according to Publishers Weekly, were about angels. Even network television is a flutter with angels. Eastern religions have seeped into the culture through songs and literature. Right and left people are turning to pre-Christian paganism, such as traditional African religions and Druid practices. Much of it is subrational, id-level religion. Gut-level religion shows up in Christian circles too. Gut-level in, Ch- in Christian circles in Christian circles too. Some believe the barking, laughing, roaring, and giving birth in the spirit of practitioners of the Toronto Blessing and its split-offs are in this category. The postmodern spiritual vacuum fuels even the UFO craze. Postmodern gurus rebelling against vacuous secularism seem to teach four doctrines. Salvation will come from within you, not from some god or savior up there. Books like The Celestine Prophecy, films like The Color Purple, and songs like Mariah Carey's Hero teach this. From Grins, page 73, Best American Poetry, 2000. 
God is in everything, and everything in the universe is connected, and thus good. As Agnes Sanford, a charismatic Episcopalian missionary, preached, God is actually in the flowers and the growing grass and all the little chirping singing things. He made everything out of himself and then put a part of himself into everything. Poet Lynn Emanuel declares that all is connected in the great seethe of seeing and being. She declares that she is part of every dog and hairpin, of sailors and undershirts and waitresses and dacron, of junkyards and umbrellas. The Bible declares that God is separate from, distinct from his creation. We are virtual gods, evolving toward divinity as taught by a host of swamis and New Age scribes. Our destiny is to escape conscious personhood. We will rise above the strife and suffering of this life only when we lose personal consciousness and become absorbed into nirvana, the great impersonal oversoul of the universe. Then our personal identity will get lost like a drop of water flicked into the ocean. After wringing the juice out of secularism, materialism, and scientism, our culture booted them out along with traditional Christianity that they saw as modernese lackey. Now the God rush is on, grabbing for gurus, chasing angels, signing up for New Age seminars, gasping for UFOs and the cultural search for spirituality pants on. Spirituality, any spirituality will do it seems. But more and more, there is disappointment and despair as one after another of the new idols crash like dropping light bulb on a cement floor. From Rollo May, The Cry for Myth, 1991. In these days of confused and frantic longing for God, gods, some god, any god, despair has a dark undertow. When their idol washes away like a sandcastle at high tide, some turn cynical. Others hop quickly to another myth. The crash of idols sends some people retreating within to create a safe world of their own, the way Deborah did in Hannah Green's autobiographical novel, I Never Promised You a Rose Garden. Others flock to psychotherapists or their substitutes, to drugs or cults to get help in holding themselves together. The Vancouver Sun, October 20, 1994. Cited by Grenz. The experiment of the human race as homo autonomous has failed. Humans are not autonomous and adding new experiences to our lives will not resolve the God-given spiritual hunger. The despair is so dark that some will lose the will to go on. Right now, the leading cause of death among North American teens is not AIDS, not drugs, not gang violence, not car crashes, but suicide. Three 18-year-old boys drove a 1987 Plymouth across Canada. Their journey ended in a garage at the mini-storage in Vancouver, British Columbia. They closed the garage door with the engine running, put on an album by Kurt Cobain's band Nirvana in a cassette player, and died in minutes. They left a 60-page suicide journal titled The Last Trip. On the last page they wrote, We have lived our lives, and this life is not for us. Goodbye. When idols fall, people who trusted in them may go down with them. The Sound of Crashing Idols In the modern period, Renaissance until the late 20th century, people chased a cluster of messiahs. Though some had intrinsic value, they all turned out to be poor saviors. We have big words for these false saviors who still seduce many. Consider the fallen idols of moderny, materialism, the greed for things, money, and possessions. Those who grabbed a pile of money now know that riches do not heal the soul. 
Narcissism, self-centeredness, selfish living never made anyone happy for more than a week. Hedonism, living for physical pleasure, constant pleasure, gluttony, sex, drugs, ends in boredom and has awful consequences. Scientism, making science the be-all and end-all of life. As good as science and technology have been, they do not satisfy the hunger for God. Reason, the belief that reality is logical. If it makes sense, do it. This fails to comprehend the spiritual that is sometimes above rationality. New Age Searching Eastern Religions New Age Seminars Pre-Christian Paganism Angel Mania Id-Level Christianity UFO and Conspiracy Cults, etc. The sound of crashing idols can be jarring, violent, and disturbing. Nonetheless, the sound is also one of hope. It is the sound of an opportunity for those of us who have been sometimes unknowingly clutching onto an idol to let go and turn more fully to God. It is also the sound of change. When the idols are crashing, followers of Christ can be ready to speak into the vacuum the hope of the gospel. Closing thought. Augustine, the blatant sinner turned saint, left this prayer in his confessions. Make it your own today. Too late I loved you, O beauty of ancient ways, yet never knew. Too late I loved you. You called and shouted and burst my deafness. You flashed, shone, and scattered my blindness. I pant for you. I taste and hunger and thirst. You touched me, and I burned for your peace. Lord, have pity on me. I hide not my wounds. You are the physician, I the sick. All my hope is in your exceeding great mercy. Application. Choose three. Number one, read the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Write a short reflection paper on your findings. Two, memorize 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Three, from the book Reflecting God, read chapters 2 and 3. Also, check out pages 15 through 22 of the Reflecting God workbook. Number four, the human race today is unholy and unhappy, lost and longing. Think about what you have read in this session. Write a reflection paper entitled, Who Needs Transformation Anyway? Number five, review the quotes from this section, The Human Predicament. Do people in your life express these kinds of sentiments? How do these views affect the way they live their lives? In what ways do you share these views? Using a news source, magazine, internet, newspapers, Search for articles or statements that represent one of these views. Try to think of a spark of hope that responds to the statement you have chosen, a Bible verse, a Christian doctrine, or an inspirational quote. Share your findings with your mentor. Number six, review the list of fallen idols in this section, The Sound of Crashing Idols. Look in the newspaper or recall a news telecast and search your own experience for observations for examples of each. Share your findings with your mentor.